Good morning. Welcome here, especially to our guests and those listening online. If you want to take notes, you can look in your program. There'll be sermon notes there or a new version. Just uh, click on more and events and you'll find your sermon notes in the U version. So I'm going to be, I was just thinking about this the other day, going to be turning 65 and 65 days. 65 days from today, I'm turning 65. So you want to pull out your smartphones and make note of that. Please keep your presents under $100 this year. I appreciate you doing that. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, 65. You know, you think about that. I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm retired, and I'm going to be old. So, and my my family thinks I should start maturing at some point, which probably is not going to happen. But they can always pray for that. But I, one of the things you find when you turn older, and all of you have experienced this, even even as you get older gradually, your memory starts to not be quite as clear as it used to be. I used to be quite proud of my memory uh, back in the day I worked for I worked in a, a flower shop for a big flower shop in in Moose Jaw for a number of years and I used to be very good at remembering all the orders and who needed what because we'd have thousands and thousands of orders and and it was something I was proud of but as I'm moving along in my life I'm realizing that I don't remember things as well and so I, I read this story and I can really relate to this um, gentleman named Albert. So with this elderly couple, were having dinner at another couple's house. And after eating, the wives left the table and went into the kitchen. And the two gentlemen were talking, and Albert said, Last night, we went out to a new restaurant, and it was really great, and I highly recommend it. And Ben said to him, What's the name of that restaurant? And Albert said, um, he thought for a minute and thought and thought. He says, You know, what's the name of that flower you give to people you love it smells really good it has thorns often it's red and ben said oh do you mean a rose and he says oh yeah that's it he turned to the kitchen and yelled rose what's the name of that restaurant we went to last night <laughs> so i can thoroughly relate to that so we're continuing our series called heart shift and the foundational truth is this the smallest acts produce the largest changes. The smallest acts produce the largest changes. So what I'd like you to do in your thinking is move from I must make 180 degree changes in my life, physically, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, any area of your life financially. I must move from making a 180 degree change to I must think about making two degree changes every day of my life a process, a journey of making changes in every area of my life. And that's the principle behind heart shift. So two weeks ago, and we, you can get this online, two weeks ago we listened to the four principles, I learned about the four principles of heart shift. I won't, I won't go through those, you can get those online. Uh, last week we looked at nine reasons why we will not change and one reason why we must change. You can get that again on cdac.com. CCA. So today, I want to look at not a, the most pleasant topic in the world, but an important one, the important place of grief and pain and loss in making two-degree changes. If we're to experience transformation through two-degree changes, we must identify, accept, and process pain and grief and loss. We must identify, accept, 
and process pain and grief and loss. It's a mistake. It's a mistake to ignore grief and pain and loss in our life. If we ignore it, then God can produce the kind of change he wants to produce in our lives. Now, there's a story. Lots of you are going to be familiar with this story. Some of you may have heard this person's name but don't know the story. But it's found in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. It may be even the oldest story in the Bible. And it's called the story of Job or the book of Job. Now, Job was considered at his day as the most righteous person in the world. The most righteous person in the world. Now, righteous has a couple of meanings to it. It means first being in a right relationship with God. And secondly, it means living your life rightly or being a right living person. It means having integrity. It means having love. It means having good character. And so Job, can you imagine that? Job was considered the most righteous person that existed on the earth. So that's, that's on the earth. And then the next scene in Job, is this heavenly scene, this cosmic scene, and Satan goes up to God, and there's this conversation. Satan is um, God's opposition, really, but Satan still has this interaction with God. And he goes up to God, and God says, Hey, Satan, have you ever noticed Job? Job is a man of integrity, a man of character. He's obedient. He serves me. He loves people. He's a great guy. And Satan says, Yeah, that's only because you've made him really wealthy. That's only because you've blessed him with a whole bunch of children and they are healthy. That's, that's only because you've given him a whole bunch of land and sheep and goats and cattle. That's the only reason he's a righteous person is because you've given him so many blessings. And then Satan says, what would happen if he lost all of that? What would happen if he lost all of that? I think, and here comes a little bit of a cosmic bet. I think, Satan says to God, if I take all of those things away, he loses all of those things, that he will turn against you. And God, being confident in Job, plus he can see into the future, God, being confident in Job, says, yep, I, I'll take that bet. And the only thing you can't do is take his life. So Job goes through an experience of tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. He experiences the kind of tragedy that most of, experience, most of us don't even experience over a lifetime in a very short period of time. So he loses all of his wealth. He loses all 10 of his kids are killed. He loses all of his servants. Everything is taken from him, and eventually he loses his health. And so here's this guy, used to be wealthy and healthy with great relationships, and he's sitting, he's sitting on all of this broken pottery, and he's got all of these sores all over his body, and he's scraping off the sores with the pottery, and dogs are licking him on the sores. It's a horrible situation to be in. And that's where he is. And even his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job says, you know what? And this is where his righteousness comes in. I, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Eventually he has some friends. Some friends come. And the friends start off really well. Start off really well. And the friends are a good example of how to and how not to connect with people who are suffering so an example for all of us so the friends come and they start off really well because they start off and they for three days they sit in silence with Job, and they just sit with him they sit as support they sit as friends who come alongside and love him and they just are there 
for Job. And that's a good example for us, right? When we, when we come across people who are going through pain and suffering, it's good to come alongside of them. We might not have anything that we can say to them, but we can support them by being there, being present with them. And that's what the friends do. And then, and this is the most, and if you're reading the book of Job, and I highly recommend it, the most of the book is the conversation he has with his friends. And the friends eventually get tired of Job, and they start saying things like, you know, Job, I think maybe you've sinned, and that's why this happened to you. Or I think you need to think about this or think about this. They start giving him unwanted advice. In fact, advice that's not even useful. A Job eventually, Job eventually gets to the point where he starts saying, God, I'm really upset with you. I'm really frustrated. I'm really angry. I don't have any idea what is going on here. Job continues to say, I, as far as I'm concerned, I'm an innocent guy. As far as I'm concerned, I have not done anything wrong to deserve any of this. And even though his friends are telling him that, he says, God, I don't think I've done anything wrong. I have no idea why you're doing this. I wish that I could have some sort of court and that I could take you to court and I could put you on the witness stand and I could say, you know what, God, you've treated me unjustly and unfairly. And that's the frustration that comes out of Job's life. Now, there's an ending to the story. I'm not going to tell you what it is if you haven't read the story. You have to go and read the book and find that out for yourself. So what I want to do today is talk about what we learn from Job. What do we learn from Job in terms of our own processing our pain and grief and sadness? This is in your notes. So the first thing, the first thing we learn from Job is pay attention to anger and sadness. Pay attention to anger and sadness. Job teaches us that grief and loss and pain requires being aware of what makes us mad or sad. Job teaches us that grief and loss and pain requires being aware of what makes us mad or sad. It also teaches us that emotions are normal and natural. And Job often expressed his anger and his sadness towards God, towards his friends, and so should we. That's a natural and normal thing to do. Sometimes we think of emotions as being negative. We think of some emotions even as being sinful. I've heard in my counseling, I've heard people talk about, well, I shouldn't really be angry with God or people because that's sinful. Anger is not a sinful emotion because there are not sinful emotions. Emotions are natural, normal responses to our circumstances. Emotions aren't good or bad. They're not sinful. Emotions are responses to our circumstances. Emotions are either pleasant or unpleasant. So sadness and anger, for instance, are unpleasant emotions that are responses to our circumstances. Of course, Job is going to feel sad. He's had a lot of loss in his life. Of course he's going to feel angry. He's frustrated because he doesn't know why this is happening. These are normal and natural responses to what's going on in his life. One of the, one of the biggest mistakes that we can make in talking to somebody who's going through sadness or anger or any kind of unpleasant emotion or even talking to ourselves and saying, well, I shouldn't feel that way or you shouldn't feel that way. Never ever tell somebody they shouldn't feel that way. That's how they feel. That's their emotional response to their circumstances. So Job taught us the importance of expressing our sadness and expressing our anger. The second lesson we learn from Job 
is that we need to wait in the confusing in-between. We need to wait in the confusing in-between. Job teaches us that there are not knowing what is next times. There are not knowing what is next times. There are times of waiting in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our loss. And it's really important when we go through these times of waiting and we all experience them, and you might be experiencing them right now, it's really important that we don't seek quick solutions. It's really important that we don't seek quick relief from pain. This is a time where there might be no answers, but there might be lots of questions. Job had lots and lots of questions, but he didn't have any answers to those questions. So don't seek quick relief. Don't seek quick solutions. Use that time of waiting. Use that time of waiting to allow yourself to build character, to deepen and to grow. Third, embrace the gift of limits. Embrace the gift of limits. Job teaches us that the greatest loss we may grieve may be our limits. The greatest loss we may grieve may be our limits. So in some point in your life where you have pain, where you have loss, where you have grief, there's probably going to be limits. There could be physical limits. There could be some pain in your body. There could be loss of function in your body. There could be some things that are going on in your body that create limits. There could be emotional limits. You're overwhelmed by your emotions. Some of you have gone through depression. I have worked with lots of people who have suffered from deep, deep depression. And when they go through that, that's a limit. It limits their relationships. It limits, they think, and they experience it, limits their relationship with God. It limits their relationships with other people, even with themselves. There's financial limits. There's limits of understanding. We're not really sure why we're going through what we're going through. We're not sure what we're supposed to get from what we're going through. And, of course, there's limits of energy as we go through those experiences. Limits can be a gift. It can be a time to stop, to process, to identify, to work through our pain and grief and loss. So sometimes limits can be a gift. Fourth, practice humility. Practice humility. Job teaches us that change happens when we are broken. Change happens when we are broken. When we're overwhelmed, when we're helpless, that's the time that we stop and release our hands into God, or we release our lives into God's hands, and we release our lives into the hands of community. When we experience brokenness and humility, that's the time that God can really enter in and do the kind of work He wants to do in our lives. That's the time when we're really helpless and needing the help of the people around us. And let me just come back to the journey. I'm, going, I'm excited to have Caleb come in a few minutes and talk to about our, his experience with the journey. Let me just say this about the journey and, and divorce care. We've had other ministries in our church like that. One of the things that people do is that they recognize, and you might be sitting here thinking this, you heard Diane talk, and you might be thinking this, that's just not something I can do. I don't want to tell my story. I don't want to be vulnerable. I've experienced pain in my life. I'm not really sure I want to revisit that pain. You know what? Can I just say, be really blunt, that that's a really a proud approach to your life? 
for you to experience the kind of change, the kind of two-degree change you need to experience, the kind of transformation that God wants to bring to your life, you need to express the pain and the grief and the loss that you've gone through because that's a barrier to you growing. That's a barrier to you growing. So I would highly encourage you to take the time to be involved in a group like The Journey and to say, I need to walk through this. It's what, nine weeks long? It's nine weeks long. Nine weeks to walk through something that can bring freedom and victory and liberty to your life and that can help you to move forward in your two-degree change. Do not allow pride or stubbornness or fear to prevent you from walking through that experience. The last thing that Job teaches us is let the old birth the new. Let the old birth the new. Job teaches us that God, in our grief, loss, and pain, will bless us with an enlarged soul. I love that term, an enlarged soul. We have a greater understanding of pain. We have a larger capacity to love others. We have a deeper connection with God, ourselves, and others. When we go through pain and grief and loss and handle it and process it in a way that's positive and life-changing and transforming. I want to ask Caleb to come up here. He's, Caleb's a guy who, who has experienced what it's like to walk through pain and grief and loss. He's experienced what it's like to um, look back on his life and to process it through the journey. And I want to, by the way, Caleb, some of you don't know, he's, he works in the sound booth occasionally. I remember the first time, Caleb, that you worked in the sound booth, and I happened to be speaking that day. And I said to him before the service, I said, now, Caleb, um, the sound people make sure that I sound really good when I talk, that I am just awesome sounding. And Caleb said, you know, Wayne, I can't work miracles. So, yes, so, and nonetheless, I still like him. Caleb, just tell us a little bit about yourself. So before I start, I got to tell you, I'm a little nervous, so I need some grace from you guys if I stumble or fumble. Can you do that for me? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. So my name is Caleb. I was born and raised in New Delhi, India. I have two older siblings, two brothers. My parents are pastors in India. I moved to Canada in 2010 to pursue my education, do a bachelor's degree in music. And after that, I met the woman of my dreams at my school at the school, and we got married, uh, moved to Saskatoon, and then I went further to become an audio engineer, and I got to work with a few names in the music industry, and uh, my passions eventually led me to work at the Bridge on 20th, which is a small nonprofit organization here in Saskatoon. And what, what brought you to move from just living your life normally and deciding, okay, I've got to work through the journey? What, what went on in your life that you said, I gotta do this. Yeah, I wasn't living my life normally. I thought I was, but I wasn't. So, what I haven't told you is, uh, I've just told you all the good stuff, the Christian stuff, and you know, the good things that I did, but there is an ugly part to my story. And I won't share all the details with you today. Uh, I guess you'll have to come to the journey to know more if you want to. But uh, I grew up in an abusive home, and uh, my dad had anger issues. He would hit my mom. He would hit us siblings. And as a little child, I was scared for my life. 
and I was scared for my, my mom's life and my other siblings as well. And I always lived out of fear, always planning for the worst case scenario. And things did not get better when I went to elementary school. Uh, I was an odd kid, I just couldn't focus in class. And my teachers abused me physically and emotionally. Mm. In grade two, I was sent off to a boarding school where I was sexually abused. As a little child, I lost all hope in humanity. I learned that I could not trust anyone, that I had to protect myself. And if I don't show them the real me, they can't harm me or hurt me. I found ways of coping with my pain that absolutely destroyed me. It robbed me of my dignity and self-worth. It tore apart my marriage with my wife, Miranda, and we were separated. I had hit rock bottom, and I had to make a choice. I either continue dealing with my pain the way I did, or I actually make a choice to change. Miranda and I sought counseling, which helped us a lot in our healing. My counselor suggested that I go to one of the groups here at Circle Drive, and that's how I got to know about this church. And in that group, I met a mentor who had a similar story to me, and he was able to help me through my challenges. And from there, I shared my story with Pastor Eldon, who was able to help me out as well. And from there, I got connected with a journey group where I shared my story. I had read about God. I had prayed to God for years. I even had a relationship with this God of the Bible. But I never experienced him the way I did in community. When I opened up about my life with safe people, I encountered God in a new way. I experienced his unconditional love in his children. I understood that God is a good father. And through the journey, I was able to break some of the vows that I made that I won't open up my life to anyone. I was able to break that vow. And I was able to make some safe connections. I was able to connect with safe people in my life. And I was able to accept myself for who God made me to be. And I was able to forgive my abusers and myself. Now, I wish I could say after the journey, my life was all a bed of roses, things got better, and, you know, I made a 180 degree, and things just seemed good, but no, that'd be a lie. Soon after journey, I went back to dealing with my pain the way I knew best, and I found myself in the emergency ward at City Hospital. I was embarrassed and scared for my life. It was in this dark time that both Miranda and I were able to reach out to all these safe connections that we've made at Circle Drive. These safe people that walked alongside us, they respected our privacy, and they prayed for us and walked with us, and they've played a long, they've, and they've played a major role in our healing journey. God eventually led me to the bridge on 20th, where I get to minister to people who are in a similar predicament as I was. He's also using leadership there to support me mm. and love on me and care for me and speak life into me. It has been a series of small changes, 
Some days I take 10 steps forward, other days two steps back. I've had to make little two degree changes to change the course of my life. And now you're in, and I, my, last, my last point was the fact that, that um, when we experience loss and pain and grief, our soul is enlarged, our capacity to love is enlarged. And the Bible actually says that, that we should comfort other people with the comfort that we've received. And you've been doing that. Tell us a bit about what you've been doing in terms of the journey itself. So yeah, when Diane called me one day and told me that I got to co-lead with her, I just knew I had to do it. It's because of what people had done for me, people spoke life into me that I had to step in and do that for others as well. So I've led a co I co-led a group with Diane, and um, it's been a really good experience for me. There have been days where I've gone in thinking that I need to add value to people's lives, that I need to speak life into them. Mm -hmm. But those are the days that I came out being so blessed by just being there mm -hmm. and listening to other people's mm -hmm. stories. And though the two degree changes in our life, when you work through the journey, and I'm just going to say that this, I'm guessing this is your experience, it may not be. When you go through the, those two degree changes you talked about through your own walk through the journey, I, I found as a facilitator of groups that that was actually more transforming for me than the actual being a participant. The leading of it um, deepened my life far more than even participating. Did you find that true of yourself? Absolutely. I'd okay. agree with that, yeah. Mm -hmm. So people want to be involved in the journey. What should they do? Kale, what, what's their next step? Mm -hmm. So the next step, we have an information uh, afternoon on the 27th, next Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m., so if you'd like to learn more, just register, come there, and ask as many questions as you may have. Let's, I want to pray for, for Caleb and for, I know Paul's already prayed for the journey, but I want to do that again. Um, and for, for those of you who might be thinking about this should be your next step, let's, let's just pray together. Father, thank you for Caleb. Thank you for the two-degree changes he's been making in his life. Thank you that you've walked alongside of him and that others of us have been able to walk alongside of him. I bless him with continued transformation, with continued joy in ministry. I bless Miranda and him with depth in their relationship with each other and with you. Father, we pray for our um, journey participants and our journey facilitators that they would have a powerful and positive time together as they walk through this experience. And Father, I pray for those right now who are out there who are listening to this, I pray that you would tear down the walls or barriers or obstacles that exist in their life from them saying, I want to say yes to this next step in my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Caleb. Let's thank Caleb. <laughs> Caleb's got a really cool earring. I have I, often said to my wife that when I... When I um, become a, a person of um, old age uh, that I want to get an earring because I wasn't able to do that, so I don't know. I'm still working, thinking about that, and you can give me your, your insights on your connection cards. Um, again, open house next Sunday for the, for the journey. If you're interested in that,
please fill out a connection card. You can put it in the boxes or you can go to the information desk and say, hey, I'm interested in just finding out what the journey is all about. Somebody will contact you. If you can't make it next Sunday but you'd like to be involved in the journey, let us know that so that we can contact you and invite you into that, that next step of your life. So we've learned from Job that processing, working through, identifying grief and pain and loss in our life is critical to our transformation. It's critical to making two-degree changes. Often, pain and grief and loss are motivations for change, motivations for making two-degree changes. One of the things that Job says to God, he's confronting God, and he has all these questions. And one of the most powerful things that Job says to God is this. He said, God, how can you possibly understand what I'm going through? You're not made of flesh. You don't have blood. You don't understand what it is for what, I, what it means to experience what I've experienced. How can you possibly understand what I'm going through? And thousands of years later, God responded to that question by becoming through Jesus Christ a human being and experiencing pain and grief and loss. God experienced our limitations through horrible pain. He died so that we might have life abundant and life eternal. And in a few moments, we're going to participate in communion in the Lord's Supper. This is our way of saying, thank you, Lord Jesus, for becoming as we are, for experiencing our limitations, for giving your life that we might have life abundant and eternal. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are not far off, but that you are near, and even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our suffering and loss. We thank you that you are near. And we thank you that you love us and nothing can separate us from your, your love, no matter what we are going through now or in the past or in the future. And we're thankful, Lord Jesus, that you gave your life, that we might have life abundant and eternal. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the chain breaker, that because of you we can experience freedom and healing and hope. And we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.